Well, hello and welcome to episode 180 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths. It's excellent to have all of your ears on the podcast today. Uh, A really, really good, fun episode that I hope you'll be able to listen to and enjoy uh, lots of great content and some great interviews. Uh, We had a ball recording these and hopefully you have a ball listening to them. Uh, We're kicking off today with a discussion with Rusty from the Courthouse Hotel in Errol Street in North Melbourne. For those of you with either long listening careers on this podcast or with great memories, you might remember that the whole podcast, The Cool Room, started out as a bit of a journey about my buying of a pub in Spencer Street in West Melbourne. The podcast was going to be about how I tried to turn that around and turn an old but well-loved institution into a good, fun, new place to be. Well, through the mists of time, through COVID and other things, that didn't occur. The Cool Room was created as a result of that, so no loss there. What a a great outcome for me and hopefully for all of you. But Rusty and his team, uh, famed from Norton's Hotel in Carlton, uh, have a similar dream for the very much-loved Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne. So we're going to get to hear everything that they've got planned, what it was like to try and take this uh, venue over, and about why now is the right time to be doing it post-COVID in Melbourne. Uh, It's a really fun discussion. He's a great bloke. I got to go down and have a couple of beers there after recording this, uh, and it is just as good as it sounds. And I think perhaps the most wholesome cool room story that I've ever heard in 180 episodes will be coming your way as part of that. Uh, And then we're going to have the first part of our interview with Bacchus. That was one of our live online masterclasses, Bacchus Brewing from Queensland. Uh, Ross comes on the show. Uh, There's a great tasting pack. I think we've got one pack left in our Shopify store. The beers, as you'll hear, are truly amazing. Don't miss the opportunity to get those. Uh, And look, a really interesting time as well in the story of Bacchus as they look to expand Uh, The question gets asked quite directly along the way, uh, is this the end of an era? Uh, And Bacchus, been around for a long time, famed for doing certain kinds of beers. You'll need to listen into both episodes uh, and some really interesting reflections from someone who has been a part of the brewing industry in Australia for a long time and just has a really fascinating story as a bloke as well. So hopefully you'll get to enjoy those. And while you're off in our online store and buying that Bacchus pack, Check out the amazing deals we have on Sierra Nevada coming out of our last series of podcasts that we did at Beer Deluxe. Some truly, truly, truly insane prices there. Uh, I know I sound like a used car salesman, but just trust me, these are not the kinds of uh, beers that you see around very often. We've got some of Sierra Nevada's big famous beers like the Bigfoot and the Narwhal. We've got Atomic Torpedo. We've got Big Little Thing. But we've also got things like the regular Torpedo and the Pale Ale, just 25 bucks for a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale on our online store. You're not going to see prices like that too often, if at all. So go over and grab them. It's a great way to support the podcast. I'm so grateful for everyone who does that. And while you're there, well, check out our Black Box. That's the amazing collaboration we have with Carwin Sellers and 12 of Australia's best breweries. They've made some sillily enormous big dark beers for us to enjoy as part of our 
kickoff in July, we're going to have four live online podcasts, uh, four live online shows, which will become podcasts, uh, with all of these brewers. And you can join us live in the Zoom room on a Thursday night, get to hear these legendary brewers talking to each other about the beers that they've created. Uh, we're talking, you know, truly Australia's best breweries. We've got Fox Friday, Boat Rocker, Dangerous Ales, Slow Lane, certainly one of my favourite Sydney breweries, Bright Brewery, Spotty Dog, King River Returns to the Show, Three Ravens, Goodland, Deeds, Banks and Hawkers, really the top 12 in Australia. Get down to the online store, grab one of those packs, come online four times with us in early July and you'll be able to uh, just hear these brewers and sample some of the most outrageous beers in Australia. We're not just doing online shows, we're also doing live in the flesh shows. Uh, we've got a couple of them coming up in July. We're returning to Beer Deluxe. We've had such a ball there with the Hair of the Dog Breakfast. We had a ball there for Sierra Nevada, and we're going to be doing Christmas in July. Check out our Facebook events page. Uh, there's a little placeholder event up for that. That's where we'll be adding more and more information as we're going along. Hey, and I'm told that three days later, we're returning to the Flemken Bowls Club. Uh, with our very good friends from co-conspirators for a Sunday afternoon there. I say I'm told, you'd think I'd know what was going on. You'd think especially at a place like the Bowls Club I'd know what was going on. I don't really know what's going on. That's still about eight or nine weeks away, so hopefully someone will come and educate me as to what I'm doing at the Flemken Bowls Club with co-conspirators on the 30th of July. Look, so many great events. Thank you to everyone who supports us by coming along to our live events. Thank you to everyone who supports us by grabbing some of the beers online. And look, I hope you'll be able to get along and buy some of Bacchus's beers online direct from them as well. And visit the Courthouse Hotel, as I did yesterday, armed with all of the knowledge that I had from my discussion with Rusty. Let's go over and start that right now. I'm joined now by Rusty from the Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne. Uh, we've got a lot of fun things to talk about. One of my favourite parts of the world, and I have been watching as I've gone past on the 57 tram with great anticipation this site that we're going to be talking about today. Rusty, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's excellent to have you on board, mate. Look, I'm obviously very familiar with where this is because, as I say, I go past on the tram every day. But for our listeners in Norway and other weird and wonderful places, can you describe where the courthouse is and uh, just give us a bit of the flavour of, of what it feels like when you're standing at the front looking in? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, iconic pub. Been there for a very, very long time. We're on the corner of Errol and Queensbury Street in North Melbourne. Um, once a beautiful pub, and uh, we've we've recently taken over the uh, the lease and just trying to give the old girl a bit of uh, a bit of a new lease on life, and uh, without changing too much, just try and restore her to her former glory. And um, yes, she's uh, she's a be beautiful old Art Deco building, but uh, there's not a lot of those left. So just trying to really uh, really uh, showcase that and, and and maintain the beautiful facade on the outside. It's a beautiful building to look at. It's got a very rich history as a venue in North and West Melbourne. Our good friend Leanne, who we talk to from time to time at Pinot Beer and Wine, got part of her start in Hospo there. I used to live around the corner, but Rusty, you yourself have got a pretty long history now in Melbourne Hospo. This isn't your first rodeo, is it? 
No, so uh, I've just come from, uh, our, I guess, our sister venue, uh, uh, Norton's Park Hill Hotel, uh, 43 Royal Parade, uh, only a stone's throw from here. Uh, I've been you, there for you're a good throw, but yeah, that's good. That's it's, good. A, it's a long throw, yeah, but uh, we, 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 like to, we like to consider that we're close to each other in case we ever need a hand. So, um, But uh, yes, I've been there for about six, seven years, um, and uh, that's an, another beautiful venue that uh, was shown some beautiful love by my, uh, by my business partners. Um, Go down and check that out. A little shout out to them. Um, Absolutely. I think we we were talking uh, Norton's not that long ago in one of our Good Beer Week preview episodes uh, with Wolf in the Willows. So I think you were having a big dinner there for that, which sounded absolutely spectacular. Yeah, it's sort of an annual event. Um, I think it's going on for five years now. Um, Ryan Berry, the head chef there, he's got a really close relationship with the brewers down at Wolf of the Willows and um, they do some really cool projects like, you know, getting the spent grain from the beer and feeding it to the pigs and then taking it, uh, take, getting the pigs and then doing a dinner with the match beers from the same beer that was made with the grain. It's a very clever, um, very clever sort of projects they've got going on down there. And that sort of changes year to year. But um, yes, I've just come from there, spent six or seven years there. Um, prior to that, I was in London for a few years, uh, but I originally did my apprenticeship here in Melbourne at um, mostly at Richmond Hill Cafe and Lada, for those of you that remember the in its glory days on, on, Bridge, on Bridge Road, yeah, uh, when one, one Stephanie Alexander, who's a bit of a, an icon of the industry, if you will, um, ran the place. Um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a very eye-opening experience working there for a few years so, and a great, a great place to learn. And talk about cool rooms, as we love to do uh, on the yeah. podcast. There was a legendary cool room out there in terms of cheese and other bits and pieces, so one of the great cool rooms of Melbourne. Yeah, probably the uh, probably one of the, the best of all time, I'd say. Um, obviously, set up by Will Stubb, I think originally with Stephanie, and um, a delight, a cheese cheese lovers' delight. You don't you don't see a lot of people doing cheese and beer match nights, you know, especially back in the early two thousands, the mid two thousands. But uh, what a wonderful room that was, where yeah, tons and tons and tons of cheese, all the muscatels, everything you could possibly want. But it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, setup they had there with the larder out the front as well with the. All the pickles we used to make and the relishes and the chutneys is a, a beautiful restaurant, that one. It was, uh, it was glorious. I was but a humble school teacher back in those days and I, could, I couldn't always afford to go and get all the things that I loved, but it was just a magic place to go. Look, let's talk about the courthouse. Why, why the courthouse? Why was this the sort of place that you wanted to go and explore and revive? Yeah, it's funny, like growing, growing I mean, I grew up in, in Melbourne and, and I remember when the courthouse was a, was an icon, you know, one, the one had era, the two had era. Uh, I'm not, not saying that's what we're trying to reestablish now, who knows, but um, I remember when it was just a glorious pub, one of the greatest, you know, it was pioneering in that uh, gastro pub scene, if you will. Uh, you know, they were, they were making sausages long before any pub even knew how to, even bought a mincer, um, you know. And, um, you know, we've obviously been working at Norton's for many years and, and, and um such a successful recipe, if you will, for, uh, for for running a great pub and doing things properly, and, and we wanted to expand. And um, we had our eye on this one for a few years, even pre-COVID. Um, had a couple of sort of little looks here and there over the years at it, and just sort of couldn't couldn't quite get it to get it to line up. And we looked at many other pubs in Melbourne, um, and this one was just one of those ones that, you know, if you know the history and how beautiful the building is, there's not a lot of them left. So we, we, we like to think we're the, the right people to get in and keep, keep the dream alive and the, and the beautiful. Um, there's not many pubs left, you know, like that are pubs, pubs. So we really wanted to uh, do it justice and get in and continue to do so for many years to come, hopefully. So um, that's probably and, the story there. What, what is it about when you say a pub, pub, what is it that you're doing there that is going to sort of keep that kind of heritage alive as opposed to just a restaurant in a space that was a pub or something like that? 
Yeah, I mean, many factors, but I guess the big one is, you know, I, I remember pubs when I was younger, you know, being, and particularly my, my dad tells me about growing up in Melbourne is, 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 you know, those beautiful corner bars where you could go in and they're a bit dark and they've got the beautiful original facades and the footies on and there's good beers and friendly banter with the bartenders and you might meet Joe from down the road and have a yarn at the, at the bar and uh, just a good, honest meal, you know, um, and, and somewhere where you can sit and feel like you're at home, you know. Um, I think there's, there's, it's great to try and keep those places alive, you know, the, the smaller, beautiful corner pubs with a nice dining room, the fireplaces, you know, the warm, friendly smiles. My, my business partner, Ryan Moses, always says, cold beers, warm smiles, you know. I think that probably <laughs> epitomizes the, the two venues very well. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what we're trying to do, really, just, just put a smile on everyone's face. That sounds awesome. I was trying to remember because the courthouse was definitely open when I had the Royal Mail around the corner in Spencer Street. Did it shut during COVID? I'm just trying to remember how long it's been shut for. Yeah, so it, it, it did close uh, at the start of COVID. I forget the month exactly, maybe two or three months into COVID. I'm not, I'm not sure what happened with the previous tenants. Um, but, um, yeah, it's obviously a casualty of COVID, as unfortunately many things were. Um, but um, as, as luck would have it, it was, it was it was ended up being a silver lining for us. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure what, what the story was with the COVID, to be honest. Sorry, yeah. So, it's, so it was, I guess what I was really asking or leading to there was it's been shut for a, a couple of years. What's it like to walk into a venue? We love to sort of pull the curtain back on what it's like to work in hospo. What was it like to walk in for the first time to a venue that had been shut for a couple of years? What were the challenges you faced in getting it ready for, for a, a beautiful new venue? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 our big goal was to try and maintain as much of the original pub as possible where we could. You know, the, the front bar area in particular... Uh, that now, well, it's got that beautiful sort of curve. I'd say it's like, I don't know if it's 1930s, um, but it's just a beautiful bar. We were never going to touch that. All we wanted to do was give it a clean up and a new stain with a nice finish. You know, the, the stairwell um, is it, this beautiful, like old Art Deco era that we've just tried to maintain. And there's beautiful exposed walls um, with the layers of paint and the, and the brick, and you can see the history of the building. Um, we wanted to maintain as much of that as possible. Having said that, there was a lot of lot of things that needed a bit of work. Um, My memory is there were about 18 different doorways into the men's toilet. Have you still managed to maintain all those different access points? Yeah, you're not wrong. There is a few doorways into the men's toilet. Um, it's definitely one of those classic pubs where the, the men's toilet was ludicrously large and the women's toilet was nowhere near big enough. So we put a lot of time and energy into uh, into, into making sure that the, that the venue was suited for everybody now because, you know, it's not the 1930s anymore. So... Um, but yeah, they, they, there's still a lot of like little nooks and crannies, good little hiding spots where you can just get a book and sit by the fireplace and have a, have a quiet Guinness or, um, which is a beautiful old building with lots of little quirks and, and just trying to maintain that as much as possible. Hiding places are really important in pubs. I mean, at least when you're as, you know, you spend as long in the suburbs as I have, it's important to have places to hide. Absolutely. Everybody, uh, everybody needs their quiet time, whether it's just watching the footy or, or, or a quiet pint on their break or... Um, yeah, I think that's one of the one of the, the beauties of particularly, you know, I spent a bit of time in England and, and, and those little pubs, if you could find that little corner and just perch yourself up for a few hours and watch the world go by, it's not a bad way to spend a Sunday afternoon, is it? Absolutely, Sam. That is one of my favourite things to do. Um, tell us what's on, on the menu and what's on the tap. What, what's, what's your favourite dish? What's your favourite thing to be having a sip of at the moment? Um, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a very big uh, Guinness drinker. I love a Guinness. So we've got Guinness on tap. Um, but, um, we've got uh, a very close relationship with Hop, Hop Nation down in Footscray. Obviously, give me a nice and local Absolutely. and also CBC, uh, CBC Co. Um, so we always feature a couple of their beers on. We've got a, uh, we've got a beautiful, uh, 
little dark, uh, the fallen leaves on at the moment for what is more of a red ale, sorry, from, uh, from Hot Nation on the moment. That's a beauty. Um, and then uh, I think there's rumours that we might be able to get our hands on a little bit of the collage when that's ready from them, which is a, an absolute ripper, Imperial, Imperial Stout. That is and, a legendary uh, beer in these parts of the it world. Is, it's fa- fantastic. It just gets better every year. Um, I've started stockpiling a can from every year in my fridge, and one day I'm going to do a tasting. So, um, But uh, we've also, probably one of the few pubs in Melbourne, we've got a traditional English hand pump. So um, we, what we do is we contract brewer out to people at the moment through Love Shack. Um, and we mm-hmm. might get an ESB. So I think those like English ales, you know, not for everybody, but we think it's a nice little nod to a traditional, a traditional pub setting. But, um, and, and what should we be eating while we, because you've gone a sort of a similar kind of theme, haven't you, with some of the food there? What's going to pair beautifully with our hand-pumped ale? Uh, I'd probably be going with sausages, personally. I'm, I'm a big, you know, I, I keep saying with the foodie, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to do things really well. And so... You know, we work very closely with, with a lot of local farmers and producers, and in particular, we're getting uh, port from a, a really fantastic place out in the Otways called Barongarook Farm, and we get whole shoulders from them. We mince, we make a beautiful fennel and uh, fennel and white wine chili sausage. Um, we're just uh, doing that over a, a little nice bed of uh, black lentils at the moment with some mm-hmm. Cabello some jus, a little bit of caramelised apple, um, just comfort food, you know, on a, on, a, on a cold, rainy day, as we've seen a bit of lately in Melbourne. I'd be finding a nice quiet corner near the fireplace with, a, with an ESB and a, and, a, and a plate of sausages. I don't think you could go wrong, really. I was going to say, for the, we've just had the first week of winter here in Melbourne. It's been, it's been properly wintry, and that just sounds magnificent. How have the yeah. locals been? What's the, what's the response to the throwing open of the doors been like for you? Oh, honestly, we are we're so uh, taken aback by the, the the support from the from the locals and the community and the um, the regulars and people from Norton's our, our sister venue and, and people are just ecstatic to have it open um, and I think you know been very well received and people are happy that there, there's some great people in here doing some good things and um, serving cold beers and warm smiles and great plates of sausages and it's a nice warm warm environment but they, yeah the local support has been phenomenal we we can't we can't. We've almost we've just been shell shocked by it. It's, it's been amazing. So we're very very grateful and very lucky to have a great community in the area. That's that's really good to hear. I mean, you know, there are differences of opinions around town as to whether now is the right time to be starting a new hospital venue or not. Is there a particular reason why now was the right time for you guys? Or you know, tell us a bit about what what it's like to be in here in the middle of 2023 in Melbourne, starting a new a new adventure. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, obviously it has its its, uh, its scary moments and, you know, we, we don't, no one knows what the future holds. And I think after coming out of what, what everybody in the world and particularly Victoria and Melbourne's experienced the last few years is, you know, it, it, you've got to get back on your feet at some stage and you've got to have a crack at some stage, you know. And um, I think, you know, the, the, the local councils and the government and everybody's just so keen to get back out there and get back to doing what they love. And, um, you know, it was it was... Of course, there's risks attached to it, but, you know, if, if you don't take the plunge, then you, you'll never know. So um, it has its scary moments, but, it, you know, we're, we're here for a long time, not a short time. So, um, yeah, we'll just keep pushing on, I think. That's one of the few times that we've ever had a positive comment about local councils and local government on the, <laughs> on the podcast. And, and I haven't even told you what my side hustle is. So <laughs> the thing that, apart from local government and planning things, which we love to talk about here on The Cool Room, we obviously have our traditional cool room question. You've already sort of taken us to the world of some pretty amazing cool rooms, but let's pull back the curtain. What's the strangest, most confronting, funniest or happiest experience you've ever had in a cool room? Yeah, so a couple of, I did check with my friend just before I came on the podcast to see if it was okay if I told this story. But uh, so two of my business partners, actually, they're a married couple. They, uh, 
we all work together in London and uh, they have a tradition when they have big moments in their life, they go into the cool room to, uh, to, to, uh, to talk about the moment. So they actually got engaged in a cool room together in London. Uh, so I didn't. I think I, see, I think I know this business couple of yours who used to frequent a venue of mine in Kensington back in the past life as well. So, um, yeah. go on, tell us what, tell us this engagement. We've, uh, we've never had an engagement in a cool room story. This is a, a yeah, I, 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 I thought you've probably heard plenty about alcohol and various other things in courtrooms, so it would be nice to tell something Various different. other things, but, uh, indeed. Yeah, I can imagine. But, uh, yeah, so uh, when he proposed to his, his now wife, uh, he, uh, he hid in the courtroom and, and got someone to tell her, oh, Ryan needs to see you down in the courtroom. Can you go into the courtroom really quickly? And he got, she went in and, and, uh, and, and obviously, uh, you know, proposed to her in the courtroom, and it became a tradition so that when they, when they were uh, having kids and, and they found out the, 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 their first child and the, the, what, the, what the sex of the baby was, they went into the cool room together and checked the email together on the phone and becoming a running, become a running part of their life. So it's quite a, quite a nice one, I thought, would be to, 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 uh, to tell. So that's quite that's one of the one. happiest and sweetest cool room stories ever. Has, um, yeah. has, there, been, you know, has there been anything like that occur in the, uh, the courthouse cool room yet or are we still waiting for the first no, no, nothing, thing to happen nothing. there? Nothing there. I imagine they'll probably pop into the courtroom for, you know, if they ever decide to have a third one, they'll pop into the <laughs> third child, they'll pop in there. But uh, I'll have to keep that under under lock and key, I think, if that happens. But uh, no, nothing as of yet. It's a pretty small, tight little courtroom at the courthouse. I don't think you're going to be doing too much in there. But uh, it's, uh, no, it's, it's a brand new courtroom. So uh, that's about as exciting as the courtroom here gets at the moment. Well, that's, I've, I've got to tell you, having dealt with many old, crappy, decrepit cool rooms, it's called the cool room because really when you're running a hospital venue, that's the thing where all of your attention ends up going. Um, Rusty, give us the socials, give us the location again so that people can come and find you and show some support for one of the sweetest cool room stories we've heard in many a year. <laughs> so we, uh, we're at 86 to 90 Errol Street in North Melbourne. Um, just shop us at the tram, be, um, beautiful, beautiful little corner there. And, uh, we're on, uh, Instagram and Facebook and all of those. We're just the courthouse NM, I think is our handle. Um, get in touch with us at info at the courthouse nm.com.au. And, um, yeah, we look forward to, uh, pouring a few beers for people and, uh, serving a few sausages and roasts along the way. One of the great confusing things of the modern age is that the Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne is opposite the Town Hall, but it's not the Town Hall Hotel, which is further down the street, and not opposite the Town Hall. So there you go. I've just confused poor Heinrich from Norway. (laughs) Just tell him to look for the yellow bricks. He can't miss the joint. Rusty, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, mate. Uh, I look forward to getting down there and having a beer in the very, very near future. and wish you all the very best with the venture. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Well, here we are. It's episode 180, and depending on how I cut all these up, it might be episode 181 as well. Uh, Thursday night in the cool room, live on Zoom. We've got a fantastic night ahead because we have a guest that we've been waiting a long time to have on the show and some amazing beers to check out. We're basically sold out in our online store of these beers. We'll talk more about how you can get access to Bacchus Beers. We're joined by Ross, but before I say introduce Ross, Mr. Warren Wu, how are you? I'm very good, David. Yeah. You know, it's been it's been a funny week. We've all been, I think, winter's really hit. Uh, Ross probably hasn't had winter hit him, but in Victoria, it is definitely winter. Um, but yeah, otherwise all good. Just uh, life um, survived good beer month. It seems like we're, <laughs> it is now in, in Melbourne where we've got 
beer events coming out of our wazoos. Um, oh, did yeah. you say kazoos? Did you say there's a, an event that I'm attending on Saturday at midday in Fed Square with 10,000 kazoos? Really? I don't often get the chance to segue a kazoo event. No, no. And wazoo kind of was a perfect little... Uh, <laughs> It's as close as life is ever going to give yeah, you. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Why um, don't you kick us off and introduce Ross? He's patiently <laughs> listened to this. Where's everybody time. from tonight? I mean, are you all Melbourne or...? Predominantly, yeah. I think everyone. Oh, and like, we're going to count Muggs as Melbourne. One of our regular Muggs is, is more Gippsland way. I think he's, he'd prefer to be, be our country... How eastern country disappeared seems to uh, pop up in every state. Yeah. Um, Jenna's from everywhere. Um, I think she'd be a little bit more maroon this uh, these weeks, I suppose. Um, but yeah, generally we're in Melbourne, but we do get out everywhere, Ross. Where where I don't know our Swedish our Swedish listeners on our podcast. Can I, can I tell you what we've got? We've had 49 downloads in Pakistan this month. What? I I don't think I've ever seen a Pakistan. So whoever's listening in Pakistan, a shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That is nuts. And that's probably the reason we normally ask, Ross. Um, Tell us about... The brewery and your part of the world. Like, where are you for all our interstate and international listeners? Um, yeah, so, we're, so we're in Brisbane, or just south, about half an hour south of Brisbane City, in a little town called Kapalabar, on an industrial estate. Uh, the brew kit you can see behind me is what all the beers were brewed on that you're drinking tonight. But as you may or may not have seen, we're just about to upgrade to... Uh, a bigger new kit. So this one currently is stripped out and sitting on pallets. And the new brewery should be being installed on the 19th of this month. Um, the people in our cool room will be able to see that. Uh, our podcast listeners um, can suck eggs because they won't be able to see that. But it is a really beautiful setup. It's It's a really... It looks like a very clean, precise setup. Um, it's, it's very unique. It's uh, basically seven, uh, sorry, six breweries um, all linked together. So, what what's the difference between your current world, the one, the setup we see behind you in the in your background, and your new one? Is it is it similar layout? Completely different? What's going on? Yeah, completely different. So. This one has uh, six little brew houses, so we can brew six different beers at the same time, uh, up to twice a day. So we can, in fact, knock out 12 different beers in one day. Wow. Uh, The new brew kit is more the traditional kit that you see in most breweries, uh, being specially designed to brew big beers, which is, you know, a bit of a passion of ours to brew Mm -hmm. the big ones. Uh, But... uh, this brew kit, if you add it all together, only brews uh, four heck, mm-hmm. four hundred liters at a time. Uh, whereas the new brewery is twelve hundred liters at a time. So, still very small in brewery terms, but uh, a massive leap up for us. Absolutely. Right. 
Great. Um, are you keeping any of the old kit? Are you go you planning on saving one or two components of it just to to use as test or or whatever what have you? I would like to, but we've got a two hundred liter Braumeister that we'll be using for that. Uh, so we're trying to sell all this kit off in one. Uh, there's plenty of people that want to just take the the odd single unit to attach to theirs for doing pilot brews, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'd like to move it off in one if we can. And we've got someone at the moment very close to buying it, but uh, it's still sat at our premises. So at this moment, it's still available. Um, in your picture, I can also see what looks like a bar on the other side of all those, all that brewing equipment. Is that, the, is that where your bar is? Yeah, so just to uh, the opposite side to where the brew kit is, yeah. there is a, is a bar there. And that's where we serve. So we have 20, 20 taps uh, serving beers in the brew house. Now, um, Warren, you... I'm going to jump in for two seconds because we, we are usually so bad at doing these kinds of things. We have an amazing lineup of beers that we're going to taste tonight uh, and some pretty high alcohol and big flavours to come. Ross, would you recommend that both on the podcast version, but also here live in the cool room, people should have their beers out of the fridge if they're going to experience the desolation and the uh, the damage. All, the all of them should be out in the fridge. Excellent. Most, so, most definitely, I'd have the whole lot out now. I think most of us have done that, but we won't. If, if people wish to dash off their Zoom camera to go and grab the others out of the fridge, we will uh, respect that rather than have any problem with that. Sorry, Mr. Wu, to jump in. I just wanted to get that one in there because normally we're really terrible at saying in an hour's time, you should have got your beers out of the fridge an hour ago. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very good. No, perfect interruption. Um, Also probably reminds us we should probably speak about the beer that we're all tasting now as opposed to when we've all finished it, which is what normally happens. Uh, Ross, this is a fascinating beer. It's really tasty and quite quite unique. Did you want to run us through the high tea, um, give us an idea of, of what we should be tasting and, and how you made this wonderful thing? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a traditional sort of English IPA base, which, uh, being a POM myself, really the sort of beers that I've grown up on and really love the sort of multi beers. Um, but just trying to do something different. Um, if you remember the, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the, the brewery, the, the Guatemala tea beer. Uh, um, I was going to say Beastie Boys. Oh, Yeasty Boys, Yeasty Boys. Boys, thank you. Yeah. We, we got there together. You know, which was, you know, their biggest selling beer for a long, long time. Honestly, I wasn't a massive fan. I found it a bit too too much tannin in it, and it just didn't really lift it for me. So, But I was keen. It was obviously something popular and just looking to try and do something along those lines um, and just started looking at the different sort of teas and things around, and um, we hit on this one. So it's, um, it's using a, a tea... Um, called, and I've forgotten the name of it now, um, Stockholm Tea. Oh. Which you may not have heard of. I mean, it's One different sort of variations of it, it all around the country. But it's basically a black tea uh, with vanilla, uh, orange, apricot, 
uh, safflowers, marigolds, and rose. Hmm. So it's uh, tea, but with a lot of sort of fruity and floral aspects. And your English beers tend to have more sort of floral than citrusy hops. So I just thought this might work well. And uh, I've got to be honest, it's one of my favourite beers now. So It certainly does work well. Uh, I'm fascinated to sort of pick apart which of those flavours come from the tea and which come from other things. The tea itself reminds me a bit, and this is very much tea nerdistry, which I know is not what the podcast is about, but uh, T2 down here uh, do a, a version of Earl Grey called Girly Grey, which I love, or I presume they still make it, which has a lot more flowers and things sort of added into that mix, just sort of lifting a, a normal Earl Grey beyond like bergamot as a flavour, but again, so well balanced. As, is most of those sort of tannins and flavours that we're getting in this coming from the tea? or oh, Pretty well all of them, know? yes. So yeah, as, as a beer itself, what, what did the beer recipe itself look like before you sort of added the... The tea elements? Uh, it's basically you know, an English ale malt uh, with a small amount of crystal and a bit of wheat. So really just a typical uh, English ale recipe, English IPA recipe. So, uh, yeah, so you mentioned... 5% crystal, yeah, 5% wheat. For... For these styles of beer, particular ones that have tea in them, I've always found that a lot of them are very bitter as well. They have kind of a really aggressive bitterness to it. This definitely doesn't. Um, is it something special that you do to to kind of not not take that bitterness too far, not extract too much tannin from the tea? No, I think, it's, I mean, obviously we drop back the hot bitterness mm-hmm. uh, for the expected bitterness to come uh, out of the tea. Um, I mean, it was a bit of an experiment, and we sort of hit lucky, I guess, with the first hit on this one. I mean, you can always add bitterness back into a beer if you need to at the end. Uh, by using isohop, you can just, you know, tweak your bitterness if it's uh, lacking a bit. Yep. Um, so it's, it's easier to go low and increase, whereas you can't take the bitterness out of it. So, mm-hmm. um, But this, this one's had nothing added in. It just happened to hit the money... And it was really just using quantities that we're sort of used to using. I mean, the things you gain, I always say it's like a chef. You know, you're used to different flavours, and when you put something new in, you've got the experience of other things or other spices you've used. So you generally have an idea of roughly where you're at. So with one like this, we'll go in with a a sort of flame-out edition. I don't know if there's any brewers here, uh, but we'll go with a flame-out edition of the tea. Uh, so it gets a sort of hot steep, but only, you know, literally uh, five minutes from the end of the boil. Uh, so it brings in a bit more of that tea character. And then we'll do basically a dry hop with the tea as you would with hops. Mm. Um, so we'll add just a dry tea to the finished beer when it's cold, just to give it uh, a little sort of real floral lift uh, right at the end. I find what's interesting in there, we often ask brewers, and we've sort of got the answer in there already, you know, whether you have a pilot kit, whether you do tests of these sorts of ones, but clearly you you made this one and you chanced your hand and used the experience that you've just spoken about. Well, if you look at it, we we don't really brew bigger than uh, a trial batch, so (laughs) it makes it very easy. 
And if, if something goes a little bit off kilter, then we, you know, we'll always look at ways of, of changing it to, uh, uh, to try and rescue it. I mean, with my whole time, I think I've only ever dumped uh, one beer um, out of uh, probably 20-odd thousand beers that we've made. Is there a particular story about that, or should we just move on? <laughs> no, there's one there's, uh, in one of these books, you know, uh, beer styles that you have to make before you die sort of thing, and it was a, a 100% wheat-oaked beer. Right. And made very early on, and honestly, it was just like drinking the sap out of a, an oak tree. And it was, it was pretty vile. And we, we kept it probably for about 10 years with the hope that it might mellow out. And I could actually say we've never thrown a beer away. Um, <laughs> but after 10 years, it actually turned cloudy and it passed its best. So it, it went down the drain. So we do have a beer we've thrown away. But, you know, it's like a chef. I mean, a chef, I doubt, will ever make a meal that he'll throw in the bin. You know, he'll always have a rough idea of what he's going to get. Um, and it may better what he expected or be less than, but very rare that it would be something you can eat. But For what it's worth, I have thrown podcasts down the drain. There, there are times that it's the right thing to do. <laughs> well, hopefully not tonight. <laughs> no, I'm sure not tonight. Um, <clears throat> we, you mentioned, well... Having a beer sit around for 10 years would indicate you've been in the game for, for quite a long time. We've had a lot of Queensland breweries on recently, um, and they've all they've been from a... They're, they're, they're established over a long period of time, so a whole bunch of Queensland... Oh, that, you can cut that out and start that again, David. Uh, <laughs> what really I'm trying is. to say is the brewery guests that we've had have... have um, uh, have been established, some have been more recent, some have uh, been been doing it for decades. As someone who's been doing it for a little while, how has the, the change in the Queensland market in terms of craft brewery, um, have you seen that? What 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 is, I mean, yeah, how has it changed the market? How has it changed what you guys do? Um, yeah, and how has it affected you in general? Yeah, I think the only way it's really affected us in general is with the huge number of breweries that have obviously opened now in the city, Brisbane City. Mm. Uh, so us being half an hour out of Brisbane, um, certainly up in Queensland, uh, a half-hour drive out to a brewery, it's like we're the arse end of the world. So getting people out to us is difficult. In the early days, it was very easy because we were literally the only craft brewery around. I mean, we are probably the second oldest in Brisbane. Hmm. Um, I think the only older one is the Brisbane Brew House, and that's been in quite a few different places. So I think in, for someone who's still in their current residence, we are the oldest. Um, but, um, yeah, it's hard getting people out to where we are. We're very much in sort of forex country uh, down in the Redlands where we are. And... Um, yeah, it's it's definitely difficult, and that has got harder with the amount of breweries that have opened. Um, and it's good to see, but we'd like to see more breweries opening around us to give people the reason to come out. But we have a very backward council in our area. Oh, we love local government chat. That's a, that's a... <laughs> and we basically, there's no way you can set up 
a brewery in the Redlands. So, um, yeah, right. very difficult. Oh, so we're hoping it will change, but at the moment, uh, other than the one that recently opened on Stradbroke Island, which obviously is part of the Redlands, but it's, uh, you know, 18 kilometers across the water. Um, there really, there are no other breweries in the Redlands and unlikely to be. Do you, do you have a, so I'm, I'm assuming amongst those Forex drinkers, um, you build yourself a little bit of a crowd of regulars that come into the, into the bar? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've still got people there, but I mean, we, we don't have really the draw card of other areas. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely frustrating when you see breweries with a better position that sell more beer in a day than we sell in a month. Yeah. Just because of, you know, where their location is and nothing to do with the beer quality. So it's, it, it is frustrating. You know, it's tough. And it's why, you know, we've had to expand. We actually had to invest in expansion or call it a day and close down. So um, pre, pre-COVID, just quickly, I mean, about two-thirds of our beer was sold in the bar, about one-third packaged. Since COVID, it's exactly the opposite. So it's wow. one-third in the bar and two-thirds packaged. And is that an effect, do you think, of COVID itself or just the changing market in Brisbane? We, we I love these kinds of discussions. You know, is it a... okay, it's definitely COVID. Yeah, I right. think people's drinking habits have changed over the two, three years. So on a Friday afternoon, we'd be packed with people leaving work and have a massive Friday. Uh, those people don't come in anymore. And it's not that they're going elsewhere. Uh, I think people are going home to their families and uh, grabbing takeaways. I mean, our sales haven't dropped. It's just Ooh. they're not coming in and having it on tap. And so they're, buying, they're buying the takeaways. I, I am totally indulging myself here, and Warren can confirm this, but are you open every night of the week? Because, I mean, what we're finding in some of those Melbourne venues is that Thursday is the new Friday, and so... Thursday night is the night where people are actually going out the pubs uh, far more in the in the sort of traditional knockoff Friday way. Yeah, I mean we're open seven days, but we're only open while the brewers are there, so we're open till four thirty Monday to Wednesday. Um, we have locals night on Thursday, so it's a night we're trying to push, but we still only stay open till eight o'clock. You know, but again, you know, at our way, a lot of the places shut very early. Yep. Um, you go out to eat and we go much later than that, you know, the restaurants will be shut. So people are geared up to the earlier evening. Um, Fridays, we stay open till nine. And then uh, Saturday, we're open till eight. And Sundays, we just open for the lunchtime now from 12 till four. Um, but we, we kept extending our hours before COVID. With people saying, you know, you close too early and if you're open later... You know, we'd be here every night and everything else, but you still see those people only once a year. And I know them. I know exactly that. On your own. Yeah, we. Um, yeah, the ones that have the great, the the customers that have the great ideas and make all the suggestions. But um, if only you had a trombone night where all that was being played on the music was being trombone music, <laughs> we'd be here every week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I lost on trombone night. 
Uh, there's a question in the Zoom chat uh, from Wally. Welcome on board, Wally. It's great to have you here with us. Thank you for grabbing the tasting pack tonight. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, about this beer in particular, which is why I thought I should ask the question while it was uh, still in our glasses, uh, about the actual tea component of things, just to take us back to that. And Wally's asking, does the tea drop out in the cold crash or is it bagged? I guess I, I too am fascinated just in that sort of question about how you use the tea because some brewers tell us that tea and coffee, for that matter, are so tricky to use. Uh, and others say, no, no, it's just another ingredient. We can add it in. It's not too confronting. Um, no, the tea's I... not confronting because we're not adding a very large amount. Um, so it goes in in a fine gauze bag, so a bit like a tea bag. Uh, so it's very easy to remove. So, as I said, we have one addition five minutes from the end of the boil, so it boils in the tea for five minutes, um, then removed, and then uh, we have a, a late dry hopping where we put the dried tea in a bag into the brew and it sits there for about three days and then pulled out and the beer is kegged. Certainly due to the clarity of it in the glass, I mean, it looks so beautiful. You know, the, the colour is there, but there's no sort of sediment at all in mine, at least. Um, it, it comes across very clear. No, I mean, it's a filtered beer. That will get. We will come to sort of best bits of kit in a minute or two, I think. But uh, mm. uh, that might well be the one, um, Mr. Wu. Do you want to take back over the running of things? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. and I thought now that we've kind of had that discussion around the around um, the high tea, we're probably a good moment to move on to the critical damage. Um, I'm really excited about this. So uh, I really am. Yeah, we'll give everyone a couple of minutes to, to rinse their glasses out. Uh, well, I mean, I've got to knock this back. Oh, <laughs> just a reminder for everyone who's listening to the podcast that um, <clears throat> feel free to, to drink at your own pace and take pauses and also... You know, pause the podcast. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was, I was literally thinking that used to be a disclaimer that we put at the beginning of all the podcasts mm-hmm. we did during COVID... We sort of haven't done that in a while. No, no. Tonight we... might be a really pertinent night just to remind people that, you know, pause the podcast, <laughs> enjoy each beer, you know, to its fullest, and, um, you know, you don't need to be part of the of the rocking along at the pace that we do in the Zoom. No, room. no, you don't, especially with 11.5% bourbon oaked we heavy. Exactly right. But like you, Mr Wu... I have had this sitting in the fridge. I just cannot wait to get onto this one. It's, yeah. It's been sitting there taunting me, and I've been very good and haven't got involved in tasting it too early. definitely one of my favourite beers. Well, we'll it's get beauty. into a second. Welcome <laughs> on board, Lee. I think we've now, that means we've now got people from four states in Australia on board, so not just Pakistan, but most of Australia as well. So that's great. Um, tell us, Ross, what would encourage a human being to make eleven percent um bourbon barrel aged we heavy? Okay, well this beer was inspired by a founder's beer uh, called Backward Bastard. I am familiar with some of you may or may not have had in the past. Yeah, you don't see it around these days anymore, unfortunately. No. 
And it was actually my head brewer's favourite beer. So he basically requested that I try to make something similar. Um, so I investigated as much of it as I could and tasting notes, etc. Not having drunk it for probably three or four years, so I really wasn't sure you know, what I could really remember from it. So just reading lots of tasting notes around, gleaming the bits that I could. Uh, looked at a few sort of clone recipes online from home brewers and getting little bits of inspiration and sort of put this one together. Um, you know, I sort of, what I call my favourite beers, I say, you know, a top beer for me is one that has a grin factor. That's so a beer that every time you take a sip just makes you smile and sit back and do it. And uh, this, to me, is a grin factor beer to me. Mm. Everyone's tastes are different. Um, but I can just sit. And we, we sat down to have a tasting of it before we put it into the latest uh, uh, comp in the Queensland State Royal Queensland show, uh, sitting down deciding what beers we're going to enter and cracked this open and sat there. And everybody at the table was just had a big grin on their face. And, yeah, has to be there. And it went in and took first place, awesome. gold, and... and and took out the category. So, uh, you know, it was, it obviously appealed to the judges, you know, as well. Made them grin. But it's just, just a beer, a beer style I love. It'd be um, a really good character in a multi beer. I thought, well, I mean, I love poppy beers, but multi beers uh, to me really are the star when you get them right. Let's, can we, can we talk about the style? Because obviously everyone who's in the Zoom room tonight basically has those beers in front of them. But there's all these people who are going to be listening to the podcast. We're going to be talking like we know exactly what we're talking about. Lots of people will never have heard of a wee heavy style before. Yeah. Give us an idea of the style and then let's talk about this particular beer. Um, glasses. Wee heavy is a sort of Scottish strong ale. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's I guess, really in barley wine territory. So you could call it a Scottish barley wine, I guess. Um, you generally, uh, in those beers, get a touch of peat, uh, very tiny, uh, more. Um, so this has, and but normally, you know, we heavy wouldn't be bourbon barrel aged, which obviously is a bit of a an American influence. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, we went that way because um, that is the sort of beer that we were looking to recreate sort of a version of. I mean, not trying to mimic it, but bring something in the style of. And, um, yeah, so in this, uh, you know, with the uh, the oaking in this, uh, we have a lot of, it's hard to get a lot of good barrels these days. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of competition for barrels, and, yeah. and they've gone up in price astronomically. I mean, we've got Isla Reserve barrels in the brewery that we got early on, and I got those for free from Scotland. wasn't even charged the freight. Wow! Uh, an Isla barrel today would cost you probably two and a half grand. I am. It's uh, times have really changed. <laughs> so I can, like, I like David. I'm I'm not so surprised. David's really surprised. I know back in the. I know for a, a long time that the Scotch producers 
used leftover, used a lot of leftover bourbon barrels from their American friends and then repurposed them as scotch barrels. And there was a lot of that going around. But yeah, it it is because you probably know a bourbon barrel can only ever be used once. Once. Mm. Um, I've always thought massive volume of bourbon barrels coming into the market. Mm. It's it's more that it, even I'm not being smart. It's even, even just the free freight. I mean, you must be a lovely yeah. bloke if people are freighting empty <laughs> barrels around the world for you. I brought it in because we're buying Scottish malt, and they people bringing in the Scottish malt. I asked them if they could source for me, and they went and asked their malsters who were making, you know, the peated malt for uh, Octomore. And yeah, no problem. Because back then, I don't think there was probably a brewery in the UK that was even interested in using them. Yeah, that's a good call. That's fantastic. So with with uh, Thorford, I could have made a fortune. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We were joking the other last week with Sierra Nevada. Go back and check out that podcast if you haven't listened to it for some reason. It's a a ripper. Talking about just how wet some of the barrels arrive. Um, You know, were were they lovely wet barrels arriving over from Scotland? And did you have No, they were bone dry. Oh, boo. They're Scottish, David. They're Scottish. (laughs) But the intensity in them was off the planet. Because what you've got to realise is, you know, like with bourbon and everything, the bourbon barrels, you're talking like 85% proof bourbons coming out of them. So it's not like the normal bourbon you get Mm. out of a glass. You know, if you get a rum barrel, it'll Mm. be, you know, 85% proof or something coming out of the barrel before they cut it back which is why, you know, you get such a lot of sort of high alcohol in a lot of these sort of bourbon-style brews Mm. because you've just got such an intensity of bourbon that's going in. Um, But, yeah, so the the fact that it's hard for us to get the barrels when we want them and when we want to make the beer, we have sort of flasks of different oak, French oak, American oak, chips, um, which we have in flasks, and we have them soaking in bourbon, in Octomore, in all different spirits, and we just have them sat there permanently, um, just aging on oak. Wow. And that way we can add the liquid back into the finished beer. Ah, oh, um, yeah. To get that oak character and the barrel character without no. having the beer to sit in the barrel, the spirit has sat on the barrel for maybe 12 months or even longer because ours have been going for years and we just keep refreshing. Um, if it's getting a bit tired, we'll do fresh oak and then pour the liquid from the old one back onto the fresh oak. So we get a very intensely oaked base, uh, which we can then fine-tune our beers with. That's very this clever. is 100% from oak that's been sat on uh, bourbon. So in this case, it's actually a Woodford's double oaked reserve. Is oh, really? Bourbon in this one. Wow. That's, um, that is a really great barrel to be, to be, um, to be using for, for, to be able to get your hands on it for, for a beer. That's terrific. No, no, I'm saying this, this, has got oak chips. Oh, it's got oak chips from... from that have been aged Woodford's on double. Woodford's double oak. Oh, I see. Okay, now I've got it. Okay. 
So we did, uh, for some of our original beers, I have got a double oaked Woodford's bourbon barrels in the, in the building that we brewed in before. Uh, and that's, I guess, we find from the barrels we've used in the past, uh, the flavours that we really enjoy. So hence why we've gone the direction on this one. Uh, but this one is done with, it's never seen a barrel as such. Um, but a wee heavy was never really, it was never a barrel aged beer. Hmm. Uh, certainly the, uh, the founders one was, I think that sits for 18 months or something in barrels. Um, but the oak in this has been sat in the spirit for a long, long time. Um, so that's the character you get going into your beer. I'm interested, you know, in terms of, you know, where the difference, I guess, lies between a brewer and a blender in, in this, because are you tasting mm. these sort of, you know, changing your mind, or not changing your mind, but adding a little bit each time through? How, how does that oh, process Absolutely. Work? So, you know, all our tasting is done in measured glasses and then with measured syringes. So we'll literally, generally put a blend into a 100ml glass of the beer while it's still... You know, while it's still fermenting, and then we'll microdose it with the different oat spirits to try and achieve what we want. Um, the the beauty of doing it that way is you never end up with a beer that needs to sit for two years before you can drink it. Mm-hmm. We release every one of our beers to be drunk as we release it. Um, so, you know, this one again. We've just fine-tuned uh, the spirit and the oak and everything in it to exactly what we what we personally want in the beer. And how many pallets are involved in... Sorry, Warren, I know I'm cutting in across... No, 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 it's great. All these questions are amazing, so it's great. How, how many pallets are involved in that process? Is it you doing that? Is it you and one other person? Like, I, I get the final call, which obviously can sometimes uh, be different to the rest of the brew team. Yep. Uh, there's generally uh, generally four of us, um, and if we can't decide, uh, we'll go up to staff further afield uh, for their opinions. Um, we've got a guy who's generally not that involved, but he ran our brew shop until we recently closed the brew shop. He's now joined the brew team, um, but he's got absolutely an amazing palate. And certainly if there's something we're not quite sure on, um, we'll get his opinion. Um, but he's, yeah, probably hasn't got as wide a palette as I guess we've developed over time. So he's good if we're just trying to say, you know, if we is there too much oak in this or about right? And he'll give his opinion. But we're all different. I love sour beers and I'm probably the only person in the brewery that does. Um, so it's always a constant battle uh, to how sour the beer is. I, li- I like it to almost strip enamel, where the other guys like it, uh, where it really has very little effect. We've so, got a couple of your sours in the tasting pack. We're not officially tasting them mm. tonight. But uh, you've sort of given really you've given sour, but you've got the berry, the berry yeah, licious. We've got the berry licious. So why? Oh, no, that's, that's, that's a. Pastry sour, that's not, that's not a sour. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's like a one-drop sour. You know, they're amazing beers, but they're not sours. Oh, oh so you, 
This is a bit of... Our poor Pakistani and Norwegian listeners won't understand, but there's a bit of tension that arises every year in Australia during state of origin season, which is uh, when the when the rugby league gets played. And that's just a little bit of a shout out, I think, to the, uh, to the New South Wales Queensland rivalry there. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying I'm not knocking them at all, but I would not call that style of beer a sour, which is you know mm. we've got one, and we're calling it a pastry sour, but that to me is not a. That's not, not a sour. That's not a sour. It's it's sweet and fruity, and it has a tang from the fruit, but that hardly makes it a sour. You know, you have a nice uh, Belgian sour or something, a proper sour. You know, they, they're not full of bloody lactose and everything else. So we'll make them because that's what people want to drink. But uh, yeah, that's not uh, that's it's not sour territory. It's yeah, I love it. Call because, it something else. There probably needs to be another word for it. <laughs> and just because Lee over in Perth is tucked into the peanut brittle goza, which is uh, also in our tasting pack, Go on, give, it, give us the three or four minute version of what we can expect there. I haven't tasted that yet. I can't wait to open that can. Probably is one of the most unique brews we've made. Um, we've taken sort of a traditional goza to begin with, but just trying to think how we could do something different. And that beer was actually brewed for Gabs originally. And we decided at the time, really, we probably weren't going to enter Gabs that year, but we really had to have something we were proud of and thought could win it. And literally, I'm pretty sure that brew came out almost a week after Gabs had shut uh, for their entries. And it was so freaking good. We rang and said, we can be in if we're not too late. And they said, please get it straight away. We'll take it. And it won every uh, Gabs in, uh, in Australia, which at that time was just Melbourne and Sydney. And then it went over to New Zealand uh, for Gabs there, and it won Gabs in New Zealand. So it's the only beer to ever won all three people's choice. So that was yeah, right. pretty unique. Wow. and was very much our last ever Gabs entry. Um, but yeah, and it's just, just looking at the Gosa and, you know, the fact you've got that saltiness and tang and just sort of how good would that be, you know, with, with a salted caramel, mm-hmm. um, sort of taste and, uh, and obviously, you know, peanuts again, uh, with salty and, uh, I love peanut brittle mm. and, uh, just thought this could really go well for, most of our beers, we always like to have a balance. You know, it's got to be salty, sweet, or you know, people ask me if I can make a um, a Cadbury's cream egg beer. Yes, we can, but I wouldn't want to drink it because that is just sweet on sweet. Mm. To me, all beers should have a balance. So it doesn't matter how crazy a beer we make, that beer still has to have a balance in it that makes you want to have another one. Otherwise... Personally, I, I can't really see the point. Um, uh, so a beer that starts sweet and finishes sweet without anything else in there really gives me no inspiration to brew it. it certainly can, but uh, you know, to me it's probably heading over to the Omnipolo way, which is I still struggle with most of their beers, even though there's many around that reckon they make the best beers in the world, but... Uh, 
it's sweet on sweet. I really find the struggle. Before, um, Mr. Wu, I've distracted us terribly from the official question sheet. Oh, I'm, I wasn't going to ask even one of the official questions. I was just planning on pumping up Ross's tyres a bit because he's mentioned a couple of times that we've received a few uh, awards. Would you like to spend just a couple of minutes telling us about what comes to mind with the awards we've won um, and the different beers that have won them? Not really, because we, we don't really enter much, to be honest. Great. Um, you know... We we used to enter the Australian International Beer Awards, mm-hmm. and then uh, and I think in our third year we won. Uh, we were equal points for champion small brewery, uh, but we lost on countback because the other brewery, Three Ravens, at that time had a a best of round beer, so it scored higher. Right. On the countback, they took it. Those guys. Um, so we just kept it as, you know. It was sort of quite nice telling people, you know, that you were runner-up champion small brewery than bragging you were top. <laughs> and we really, we haven't entered since. But again, something from a beer mentor of mine said that any comps you enter or anything, there's a few things you need to look at. One, never look at what the cost of the beer was to produce as your entry. It's the actual sales figure. So if we've got something like our Isla Reserve that sells, you know, for $27 a stubby mm-hmm. and you've got to enter, you know, 36 bottles of it, that is the cost of your entry on top of the $300 entry fee. Mm. And suddenly, you know, it's costing you nearly $1,500 entry fee. And what are you going to gain out of that? Mm. Um, if you win it, are you going to be able to sell more? No, we sell out of everything we can make. That's right. If you've only got a small production run, what's the... Yeah. Where's the value in it? And he said, you know, if you can't take advantage of the win, why do it? Yeah, good call. I like that. And and if it happens, as quite often happens, I always say in comps, a bad beer never wins. Mm -hmm. Lots of really good beers get nowhere. Yeah, that's very true too. Depending on where you are in the tasting run of the day, and personal preferences and everything else, a really good beer can absolutely bomb. Um, but a, a bad beer can't win. Yeah. That makes me feel so much better about my chicken beer, which ended up 38th out of 40 beers in the competition I entered it in. So perhaps that could have been a really good Imagine beer. the poor bastards who came 39th and 40th <laughs> to chicken beer. They were you, both gluten-free from the Americans and things on getting judgment on your beers, they, you shouldn't really take anything to heart until mm. that beer has been into five different competitions and and look at where the the feedback is from those five comps. Yep. Oh, and in America, they will also give you the, um, the tasting order so you will know if your beer was second off the rank or 50th or whatever. So you sort of oh, get a feeling yourself you know, where, where it was on the person's palate on the day and everything else. So um, I basically gave brewing away after that chicken beer experience. You're saying I should brew four more and enter them in more. So I mean, we, 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 we love making chicken beer, so... Uh... Oh, no, <laughs> talk about rabbit holes or chicken holes that you can go down. Do you really make chicken beer? Cause I, Absolutely. I love it as a style. So we we have our so ours is brewed to the authentic 
15th century, whatever it is, recipe. Yes, yep, as, as was mine. So Stuffed bird into your flag, and I believe was the instructions. Yeah, so ours is called Big Red. That's it, Big Red Cockail. Uh, Big Red actually was a famous uh, Mexican fighting cock. <laughs> um, so he was like the champion fighting chicken for a long time. So it's Big Red. And then we brought out... Um, uh, we did something new. We brought out an imperial version, uh, a black version. Um, and I'm just yes. trying to... I, I don't, do we want to know the name? Do I have to bleep the name I, out of this? <laughs> no, but it was, it was from a, uh, a movie, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, mm-hmm. uh, where there was a certain villain in there that used to beat his um, people around the head <laughs> with this <laughs> black... Uh, appendage. Anyway, really, really interesting movie. That one. <laughs> Sting, Sting had a real. I think Sting was in that one, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah Sting was. Yeah, good call. I think um, I'm desperately trying to think of the name, but it's gone. It's gone blank on me. Yeah, oh, well, that's the age. That might, the be, age. That might be a really okay. useful. That might be a. Um, it might be a good time to to maybe put a break in proceedings. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll move on from the we heavy. Uh, shout out to our Scottish friends who have just lost uh, our Celtic fans who have just lost who will be the greatest football coach of all time. Um, We've but, also lost one of the great football coaches of all time today, Mr. Warren Blue, with Rally Rasic dying. So, oh, yeah. shout out to Rally Rasic or to his family at least, and to the family of the Iron Sheik, one of my favourite wrestlers who died overnight as well. So. Have you, have you guys enjoyed this beer, by the way? Uh, absolutely. Know, it's one of my personals, but it's not going to be for everybody. But uh, Mr. Wu, uh, Mr. Wu's wrapped things up much earlier than I was going to about this beer. Oh, really? You were going to go on? I thought we could save a couple. Like, I, I love sitting here thinking about this beer. We'll go a few other questions. But... Oh, just quickly, I've just remembered the name of the black cock ale. Uh-huh. And it was just called Hatchet Harry. Mm. <laughs> yes. Who... It was. So I think it was a 10-inch, and Hatchet Harry was a 10% black cocktail. Can I just want to clarify, because you've got a much better accent for this than I do. I don't remember there being any H's in Hatchet Harry's name. Hatchet Harry? Hatchet <laughs> Harry? <laughs> it's like, I like saying we heavy with a little bit of a Scottish accent. Yeah. Um, well, Mr. Wu, you've convinced me that putting a pause in this <laughs> recording is an excellent thing. Just reminded me, I, I need to rebrew that beer. We haven't brewed that in cans, so it might be off the ranks fairly soon. Excellent. I am all about that. I will catch the plane to come up and just watch the process where you stuff the bird into the flag, and that's what it's all about in the original 15th century, and I promise you that's... What we do, we literally take the chicken carcass after dinner... Uh, into a giant flask. Um, it was done. We use um, we actually use port to boil it in. Uh, the original, if you look at the recipes, you probably know is basically sherry, but port gives a nicer <coughs> flavour in the finished beer. And we add the different spices to it. Boil it hard for sixty minutes, and then the whole, all the liquid, including the bones and everything, go into the fermenting beer, which. 
you, which I know from personal experience, the attempts to clarify all the fat out of that is a, a nightmare, depending on how you... How you ah, well, then you might be doing something wrong because something I discovered from this brew... Sorry to go a bit off track with the brew. No, bruise. no, no, no. It's a, I can cut all this out, but this is, my, this is the beer I love making, so... You know, but something we discovered in making this beer, and I think it's why the beer was done, because if you look at that original recipe, it says to get a cock, the older the better... Um, to use in the brew. Oh. So and, and, and if you think about it, the old brews were definitely very cloudy from the yeast and everything they used. But when we made this the very first time, um, we made the broth and then put the flask, the five litres of liquid we had, in the cold room to try and settle it out because we thought, you know, if it gets a bit cold, then maybe the fat will settle on the top and we can remove it. Yes. But there was no fat. Right? And then we went to pour it into the beer and nothing would come out the flask. The entire flask had turned to jelly. Oh, the same jelly you get underneath your chicken when you've cooked it, mm. which is the gelatin. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, um, I believe that chicken was used in early beers purely as a clarifier because... When we added and liquefied it and added it to the beer, Mm. it actually stopped the beer fermenting early and it dropped bright almost overnight. So now we only ever add it when the beer is finished. And again, if you look back to the ancient recipe, it says to add to the beer when nearly done. Um, It's taken 180 episodes. We finally got to some advice for David about how to make his beer that he likes making. So it clarifies it and makes it crystal bright because you are adding the biggest dose of gelatin you'll ever add to a beer, uh, a clarifying agent, and it will just drop the beer as bright as a button. Which must uh, genuinely, it's a 15th century recipe for those who are not believing that. Like, but that must have been quite a thing back then compared to the kinds of general ales that they would have been tasting. Yeah, well, it was a beer brewed for the gentry. I mean, whether they had the glassware back then to uh, see how clear it was against drinking out of some pewter mug or whatever it was, but um, it definitely makes the beer absolutely shine. Given I've gone down this rabbit hole, so to speak, the the same recipe book that gave me that one gave me a beef and orange beer that we brewed. Have you ever made a beef beer? Yes, we made several beef beers. So we do a uh, we do a pour and twenty meat pie beer, um, which actually we had uh, four and twenty basically sponsor us and gave us uh, cases of their pies to give away. They were either going to sponsor you, or sue you, one event. or the other. So, <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, one of the more unusual ones we do, but but we've done kangaroo beers, we've done lamb roast beers, um, probably. One of our weirdest tasting, we've done a crayfish saison, which was called a crayson. Oh, yes, yeah, I like that. We had a yabby beer the other night here, or other breakfast here in Melbourne. Yeah. So a yabby, yabby beer from Torboy and Moose, shout out to Steve yeah. and the team there. One, one we brew quite regularly is uh, we do a chilli mud crab beer. Oh, yeah, I've been to that. But mainly because we love cooking the mud crabs in the wort and then eating the mud crabs afterwards because the... 
if you've had mug crab cooked in uh, sweet wort, it is absolutely mind-blowing. I, I can assure you I never have, and now it's all I'll be able to think about until I do. So what we do is we sit and eat all the mug crab, then we take all the shells, cartilage, everything that's left, uh, put it dry it in the oven for an hour, and then put it through a grinder, turn it into a powder, and put the whole powder back into the beer. What, Warren, from now on, the cool room and everything that is this fine organisation is in your hands. I'm going to Queensland. <laughs> I'm just going to sit in the corner as all of these amazing beers are made at Bacchus, and that's going to be the rest of my life. I'm sorry, my <laughs> wife, my son, my family, if you're listening in, I've, I know where I need to be now. And we're, we're a bit disappointed we're moving away from our, you know, the brewery we've got. I'm going to bigger batches now. I'm really changing the whole concept of what we do. But uh, unfortunately, it's a, a sign of the times. And uh, without doing it, we can't survive. But, um, you know, we'll still do some of the stuff we do. It just won't be in the the volume and the, uh, uh, the intensity that we could. We've got some pretty exciting projects we want to do when we get going. But, um, yeah, it's... That's been the fun of this little system because if something does go totally to shit, I mean, you've lost a keg of beer. I mean, what's that? You know, it's $100 worth of ingredients at worst. It's, you know, it's not like uh, putting several thousand litres or whatever down the drain. Mm. It has enabled us to really enjoy ourselves and uh, really experiment on the limits. I'm going to wrap it after Mr. Warren gave me the lead in 10, 15 minutes ago, let's wrap up the portion of this live show that's going to be in episode 180. Thank you if you're listening in the podcast to episode 180. Make sure you're listening to episode 181, where, frankly, we ask all the questions that we would normally ask. We're going to hear about Ross's journey through brewing. Yeah, sorry, guys, we've gone a bit off kilter here. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's not your fault, it's utterly my fault tonight uh we're going to get back onto that in episode 181 we're going to join the great beers from Bacchus we're sold out in the cool room check out Bacchus's online store we're going to talk about that more it's an amazing place to get some amazing beers and um I'm told that Ross is going to give a 50% discount no not at all uh so you you just about spat his false teeth out I've never had a reaction like that before at all (laughs) Thank you, Ross, for being on episode 180. We're going to press pause and come back in 10 minutes' time to talk more about some fantastic beers, including the amazing S'mores beer. <laughs>